You got to get rid of those dead bones. That's the title of today's message. As we get back into our feature, Blame Game Victims, Challenging the Four Invaders Hidden Within Us. And we've been talking about confession. And while there are two types of confession, there's a major difference between the two. Public confession has the power to purge our hearts of the guilt that keeps us from living out in the open. Secret confession simply doesn't have that kind of power. And what I'm going to do is just start out with a short story which uh, the reason for for the story is just to give you some insight into the scope of what we're dealing with here today in this message. Jim is a high schooler, and he goes to high school in the town which he lives, and he also goes to church in the town in the town that he lives as well. And Jim's father owns a business, and he also runs the business. Now, on one given Sunday, uh, Jim comes to find out that there's a guy in the church who had some kind of situation with uh, Jim's father's company. And as a result of that, he's been talking about Jim, not only about the company, but about Jim's dad. I mean, gossiping and telling tales. And I mean, not only in church, but everywhere around town, anybody who would listen seemingly, he would tell, uh, talk about Jim's dad. And Jim wasn't quite happy with this. In fact, he was downright upset. And what he did was he decided that payback was necessary. So being a teenager, he came up with a devious, mischievous plan that would not only get payback from the father, but he wanted to get payback from the entire family. See, this guy had had a wife, he had two sons, and he had a younger daughter. And Jim felt that it was important that the whole family suffer for the sins of the father, so to speak. So anyway, he devises this devises this plan, and it was ingenious in Jim's eyes. And so lo and behold, the night came when he was going to put his plan in effect. And the idea of the plan was to, to put the fear of God into the entire family. Like I said, the entire family, not just the father. And uh, so the plan comes the night for the plan, and uh, Jim executed the plan to perfection. He was quite happy with the success of the plan. And he was excited that he, he got payback in his eyes for what this guy said about his father. And, you know, it was a good thing, fortunately, that nobody got hurt as a result of this plan, property, there was property damage, but nobody got hurt. Again, a good, great thing, but it did, it did, it was successful in the fact that it did scare the, the entire family to death. And that was, that was Jim's plan all along. Now, Jim though, okay, after, you know, he was happy, but 
you know, as the days went on, as the weeks went on, Jim, you know, he, he started to have uh, second thoughts about what he had done. And so the, the, the plan had affected an impact not only the persons that he designed the plan against, but it also impacted him. You see, he carried guilt around with him day after day after day. He made secret confessions to God. He prayed about it. And nothing was helping. Nothing would eradicate the guilt that he was coming up with. And, and actually, this went on for, for a few years. And, and it got to the point where Jim even went to the house on, anonymously. Now, keep in mind that nobody knew this was Jim. He did a great job with this plan and he was completely anonymous. So nobody knew that it was him that affected this plan. But anyway, a few years went by and he was feeling again so bad about this because it was haunting him. The guilt was haunting him that he actually took some money, put it in a, an envelope and put it on the front porch, you know, at the front door. This is the entrance where the people came and go every day. So he knew they would get it. He actually put money in this envelope to pay for the damage that he had caused the few years earlier. But even that didn't ease the pain in his mind, in his conscience. So finally, he went to the pastor in the church and he told the pastor about this. He confessed to the pastor, told him exactly what had happened. And and he also told him that he was praying about it and, you know, and, and that whole thing. Uh, but the pastor told him, look, Look, you, you're forgiven and you need to move on with your life. And Jim actually asked the pastor specifically, he said, should I go to the family and confess what I had done? And the pastor told him, no, you were forgiven, just move on with your life. But apparently the pastor was not right in this particular situation, because guess what? As time went on, Jim went and got married. Uh, he went to college. He, he got married. He had a family of his own. And he started to think of what he had done. He knew it was wrong, but even worse than that, it was illegal what he had done. And now that he was a father and a husband, the, the, the events of that night took on a different meaning. He looked at it with a different light because it was horrible. And now that he's a father, uh, he thought to himself that there was nothing, if he had known who did it, if that was done to his family and he found out who it was, there would be nothing he would do or that he wouldn't do to, uh, to punish the person who frightened the family in the way that he had frightened them. So anyway, so every three or four or five months, you know, it went on for a while. Every He would get a gentle nudge from God, um, a reminder that things were not just right regarding this incident. And this, like I said, this went on for years now, months, every three, four months, he'd get the nudge from God and it went on for years. And 
God kept reminding him of, of what he had done and that something wasn't right. He just had that feeling inside. Something isn't right. And he just kept telling God, he said, look, God, you know, I mean, this was done in my past. Uh, Jesus paid for my sins at the cross. I was forgiven. Uh, and, you know, I mean, this was years ago. I wasn't even a Christian then. I mean, so give it up. You know, I mean, why do you keep, why do you keep bringing this up to me? And the conviction still didn't go away. So what had happened after that, it was during the, the quiet time, Jim's quiet time in the morning, and that he found that now he couldn't even pray anymore. All he could do was think about that incident from that night back in high school. He was getting haunted by his conscience all the time. Now, this is now 15 years later. Wow. 15 years, he resisted God over this situation. But God wouldn't let up. And then, lo and behold, the nudges now became like a slap in the head. And he told he, uh, Jim, he, God told Jim, basically, Jim, you're not blameless, you're hiding something. And Jim just kept thinking, you know, this is complicated. It was a long time ago. It's probably not even a big deal anymore. I mean, they probably don't even remember it. But again, the, 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 his conscience didn't let up. The guilt was still there. So finally what he did was he, he, conc he concluded that it's probably a lot easier to deal with the issue than to continue arguing with God. So what did he do? He, he didn't think about it. He got in his car. He didn't have any idea how he was going to go about it, but he said, I got to make things right with this guy and his family. So he drove to the house, and then, if you could picture this, he drove up and down the street, past the house several times each way. He'd go up, past the house, back down, past the house, and so forth. And he just didn't know what he was going to do, so he kept doing this until he got up the nerve to finally stop. And he eventually parked in the driveway. Um, he walked up to the door and he rang the doorbell. Now, keep in mind, he had, when he lived in the neighborhood, he never even went to this guy's house. So this guy never saw him at the house. So he had never been there before. So he goes to the house and the guy answers the door. And he had this look on his face, uh, confusion, a look of confusion that, you know, stopped Jim in his tracks. And rightly so. Again, he'd never been at the house. Jim had never been to the house before. They weren't friends. He wasn't friends with the daughter. He wasn't friends with the sons. And this guy hadn't seen Jim in years. So he proceeds to tell me, well, what are you doing here, Jim? What are you doing here? And... This guy had no clue why Jim was there. And it, this was now eaten at Jim. It was eaten inside him. And he figured that, well, this guy still doesn't have a clue it's me. Because otherwise, he, may, he probably would have thrown me, off, thrown me off his property. Maybe even worse. So at this time, however, the kids were all gone, grown and gone. And 
So Jim just let it all out. He just said, look, I've come to apologize. And the guy still looked at him like with this blank stare. The guy still didn't know what he was talking about. So he said it again. And he just, he, he told him the whole story. He told him the whole story. And the guy just stared at him. And Jim felt that whatever the guy did, whether he punched him, whether he threw him off, whether he, whatever the guy's response would be, Jim felt that that response would have been totally warranted and justified. And when Jim finished his apology, the guy smiled and said, you know what, Jim, I had a feeling it was you. Now, again, you have to understand that Jim carried this for years. I mean, we're talking 15 years later. And all that time, this person had a hunch that Jim was behind the event that caused him the great deal of pain and, let's not forget, the expense. But watch this. Jim never forgot what this guy said at the end of the conversation. He looked at Jim and said, Jim, this makes me feel good all over. Jim said that he saw release in the guy's eyes. The guy had already forgiven him, and he told him that, that he forgives him. And when Jim owned up and took responsibility for what he had done, it was as if complete healing was achieved. And Jim was finally free. After 15 years, Jim was free. The guilt was gone. He had finally confessed to this guy who was the recipient of the plan that Jim affected on that night back in high school. Now, I don't know if you can relate to this story, whether you have anything in your past that is similar to this, but if you do, if you have things in your past that you still feel guilty about, the reason that the guilt is still there is because there hasn't been, that, that because there is still they are still not resolved. And just by telling God you are sorry, the guilt will not be resolved because God was not the only offended party. Talking to God is not enough in this kind of in these situations. Your guilt will not be alleviated. Your burden of guilt will not be lifted until you confess to the offended party. Then and only then can you live out in the open. You see, that's public confession. Only then will you be free from secrets, the secrets that you've been hiding that have formed walls between you and the people that you love most. Now, you're at this point in time, you may be pounding the table, and you may have fury in your heart, you may have fire in your eyes, and you might be saying, well, hey, what about forgiveness, man? What about forgiveness? Hasn't God forgiven me for my sin? Why should I dredge up a bunch of stuff from my past when Jesus paid for all of it at the cross, everything I'd done was paid for and pales compared to what Jesus completed at the cross. 
And in fact, again, I, was, uh, I wasn't even a Christian when I did some of these things. And you know what? These kinds of arguments um, are made by Christian after Christian, person after person. Um, and the, it, these kind of excuses and arguments were probably made, these are made for years, year after year. And when all is said and done, the guilt still remains. And you have to ask yourself why. And it's because, again, that God is not the only offended party. Now, you have to also, when we look at the Bible, you have to come to understand that while God's forgiveness is, a, is, is shown to us in the Bible, it is a guarantee. God's forgiveness is a guarantee. But the Bible also teaches about the principle of restitution. You see, again, forgiveness does not erase or eradicate our need to take responsibility and ownership for what we've done. In fact, when you look at it, the bottom line is that forgiveness should actually drive our confession. And, and there is confusion in, in church about this, in the Christian church about this. And, and, and part of that confusion comes from the misapplication of, doc, of the doctrine of grace. You know, when you when you become a Christian, uh, you you and you understand the unconditional, undeserved grace of God that you have been afforded. It's like overwhelming and unbelievable that nothing you could do could earn you forgiveness or salvation. It was a gift, pure and simple. Period. There's nothing you could have done to earn it. Nothing you do did had any merit. Your good deeds did not and could not earn you good standing with God. Righteousness could not be obtained by anything that you ever did or could do. But when you look at relationship with others, your relationship with others, that's not true. That statement is not true. You see, God has forgiven you. But those that you have wronged or offended may have not forgiven you. In fact, their bitterness and anger over what was done to them by you is holding them, ho is holding them hostage. And they can't move on because of the bitterness and anger that you have caused them. And... You're kidding yourself if you think that everybody that you've ever wronged has simply forgiven you and got on with their life. Now, that's what we're supposed to do as Christians, but it's very hard to do that. And if people always did what they're supposed to do, forgiveness wouldn't be an issue in the first place. And we're also kidding ourselves if we think we're not responsible for making amends and making restitution. You see, we don't have an escape hatch. We don't have uh, an escape hatch of grace. It was not given to us uh, at salvation to give us an escape hatch so that we didn't have to uh, take ownership on what we've do done to other people. 
And on the contrary, to the contrary, uh, the very grace that compels us to make restitution uh, to those we've wronged. The very grace should compel us to make restitution for what we've wronged. Christ paid a debt Christ paid a debt that we didn't know and one that we could never pay. And that kind of love should give us the motivation to pay those debts that we can pay to those that we do owe. You see, our penalty for sins, uh, as far as heaven and earth are concerned, uh, was dealt with at the cross. Uh, the consequences, however, are a different matter. If we use our forgiveness as an excuse to avoid the pain and embarrassment of uh, reconciling our differences or what we've done to others with others, then we're avoiding what the Bible teaches. So we cannot use our forgiveness in that way as an excuse. And while it's true that we can ever repay God for what he's done for us, we may be able to repay our fellow man for what we've done to them, to him. And you know what? That's the only way you can free free your heart from the poison of guilt. That's the only way you can you can relieve yourself of that guilt. Just like Jim, it took him 15 years. Don't let that happen to you. Don't carry it for years. Now, if you really want to understand this better, this power of confession, turn the whole situation around and put yourself on the receiving end. And, uh, you know, think about it. Think whose apology you most, you, do you want most? Um, uh, and whose, does, whose apology do you want most? And yet you least expect it. Who is it that seems completely insensitive to what to the hurt and trouble that they have caused you? How would you react to a surprise visit from that person. Now, I can tell you that I've had, unfortunately, I've had a number of situations, three or four for sure, where close, very, very close friends uh, basically hurt me deeply. And I'm just going to tell you one quick story here. Well, it's not a story. It's actual events. Um, in college, I had a, a friend very close. We met in college and... We, we were, you know, we were together every day. We had classes together. We pledged a fraternity together. And if you know anything about pledging a fraternity, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a very, um, it's a very, um, it's, it's, it's a thing where when you go through that with somebody else, it's just a, a friendship and a bond that, that you create that is for a lifetime. And what had happened was we were now out of college and we, I was getting married on a Saturday. It was actually November 11th. And 
This guy, my friend, and my brother threw me a bachelor party at our fraternity house. And it was, so I was getting married on the 11th. So this would have been on Friday, November 3rd. Okay, so it was like a week before. And he was there, we had the party, we had fun. And he had replied about the wedding that he'd be there. And do you know what? The last time I saw him was the night of the bachelor party. The wedding, the following week, he never showed up, never called, never called afterwards, and just left us hanging, and I never heard from him again. Until, I, I don't remember the time frame, it might have been, it was years, I think it was years later. I, I can't be 100% sure, but I know it had, a long time had gone by. I got an, an invitation to his wedding. And it was like unbelievable. To this day, I have never heard from him again. So figure that one out. I mean, think of the hurt. I, I, the, the best part is, is that I have no idea what happened. I have no idea. And it's just incredible. So would I be surprised? How would I feel if he showed up at my door? What would I do? You know, would I, would I let him in? Would I sit him down? Would we talk? Would we be happy? You know, what would be, what would transpire there? Um, think about it. You, do you have an issue? Uh, did you have a situation similar to that? Um, in any event, it, it's, it's, it's a, something that goes on in your heart at that point. What, what would I do? What would you do? Um, Imagine what might transpire in your heart if with sincere humility that that person offered to do anything within his or her power to make restitution for what they had taken from you. Now, in my case, I mean, there's nothing he could do. He took away, he took away the sharing of a blessed day, my marriage. He took away sharing that with him. He took away our friendship for God knows how many years now. That was 1978. So for like 40 years, our friendship uh, is gone. For 40 years, we could have been friends, and I've never spoken to him again. So, you know, if somehow he could make restitution, it would be a remarkable thing. So hopefully... If you have any situations that you're thinking of, maybe your, your situation would be different as far as restitution. But it would be almost impossible to resist changes that would begin to take place in, in your heart. You see, because that's the power of confession. Not only does it have the power to free you from guilt, but it's also the path to forgiveness for those that you've hurt. Think about this for a minute. It may very well be that the greatest consequence of our unwillingness to own up to our responsibility, to take ownership on something that we've done to someone, is that it fuels the fires of bitterness and anger in that person's life. I mean, really, for many who have been hurt and whose, whose souls are filled with self-destructive fury, a simple confession could set them free. 
All they need to be released from the eroding forces of bitterness is for the offending party to come and make it right. To say, I know I could never repay you fully. I know I can't make this go away, but I'm here to let you know that I'm responsible and I'm very sorry about it. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make things up to you. For someone out there, you may very well hold the last piece of a puzzle that he or she has been attempting to complete for a very long time. Owning up to your responsibility may be the thing that allows this man or woman to move on with life. Simply confessing to God does not accomplish that. And confessing to God will not set your heart free from the guilt that is slowly eating away at your character and conscience. Just, again, keep think back to the story of Jim. And uh, God's forgiveness does not exempt you from the responsibility for confession and restitution. On the contrary, his forgiveness is the very reason to confess. God paid a high price to reconcile you back to him. And now he's calling on you to pay the price to reconcile yourself to others. At some time in your life, God may very well be calling on you to take ownership and responsibility for something that you've done in your past. I mean, God has a consistent record of doing things like that. And I mean, you may have some unresolved relationships. You may have debts that have been neglected. You may have apologies that you never made. And uh, these are all things that God will lead you to own and resolve. And how does he do it? He does it through that nagging and that nudging. And you will eventually have that irritating sense of guilt that follows you around day after day after day. And you know what? You won't be able to confess it away or pray it away. And uh, resolvement, will it be painful? You better believe it. Inconvenient? Yes. Embarrassing? Absolutely. And it may very well be humiliating at times. But think about it. Jesus Christ suffered a painful, inconvenient, and terribly humiliating death on the cross for our past and future sins. They weren't even his own. He took responsibility for the sins of the entire world so that all men and women could be reconciled to the Father. And... When compared to the cross, all our excuses, all our crying and griping amount to absolutely nothing. I mean, we have no excuse when we look at the cross. His death was for our good. And when he talks about and gives us commands regarding confession and reconciliation, those things are for our good as well. He wants us to be completely free from the enslavement of sin. And confession is the one thing that will enable you to come out from the shadow of sin and into the light where all things are made new. And you know the important, uh, one important thing about confession, and this is a big one, it's not a one-time event. Confession must become a habit in our lives. You have to move beyond your self-deception. You have to get busy and clean your slate. And when we talk about cleaning your slate, it's not with God, but with the people that you hurt and offended. 
Confession must become a habit. It has to become something that you do over and over and over again so that guilt cannot create the damage and cause the damage that guilt can cause. And if you've ever been there with guilt and had guilt and overcame it, you, you could probably honestly say that you don't ever want to go there again. What did that high school incident teach Jim? It taught him a valuable lesson about guilt. It taught him that guilt chips away at self-respect and that confession has potential to undermine your public respect, but self-respect is far more important than public respect. And you know what? You can't control what others think of you. And uh, this is what Jim was learned through that lesson. And you, you, you either lose the respect of others or you can lose respect for yourself. And why would you want to pollute your heart with guilt in an effort to protect a reputation that you may not even have? And always remember this, the purpose of confession is not to relieve your conscience, it's to affect change and reconciliation. So don't kid yourself. You have to break the endless, meaningless confession cycle. You have to use this powerful tool in the way that God intended. You have to go public with your sin and purge your heart of the guilt that is eroding your confidence and faith. Have you ever heard of a man or woman who broke a debilitating habit without public confession? What do they say at Alcoholics Anonymous? They will tell you that going public with a habit is the first and possibly most important step in recovery. And here's a very important statement. Confession breaks the death grip of guilt and sets us free to embrace the future God has for us without dragging around the dead bones of the past. The consequences of confession are much less severe than the consequences of concealment. And, you know, have you ever had a splinter in your finger? The best thing you can do when you have a splinter is to get it out. If you don't get it out, the wound can get infected. And, and we're talking a stupid little splinter. And you see, sick, secrets are like that. Secrets are like buried splinters. And healing cannot begin until you get the splinter out, until you confess. And you know what? It will hurt. But over time, if you ignore the splinter, that splinter will cause you deeper pain and more complications. So, do you have any secrets? Are you playing the confession game? Are you relieving your conscience but seeing no change? Are you ready to break that cycle? And if you are, confess. It's the habit that could change everything. So what do you have to do? You got to get rid of those dead bones. <laughs>